Toasties. I'm Missy. Here's my bestie, Johnsy. Hey, y'all. And welcome to our Toasted Shenanigans. And we're in person. Yay! We are getting back on track. No more fucking virtuals. We had a crazy shenanigans of a summer. It was it was nuts. Yeah, there was a lot of traveling. Sickness. Yeah. Traveling. More sickness. It was <laughs> too fucking much. Our summer got the best of us. Mm-hmm. We barely got to go outside. I even, yeah, I don't even feel like we really had a summer this year. No, it was too too much. Too much happened. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was a lot. Like, all of a sudden it's over. And now it is September, the best month in the world. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Virgo season! Yeah! I don't know if any of the other Virgos are struggling like we are, though, with this yeah. full moon and retrogrades, but bro. <laughs> Hit me fucking hard, man. I've never had that happen before. Like, I've, there's been so many retrogrades, or as other people like to say, microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Mars is in the microwave. <laughs> But I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. They're like, I'm feeling like horrible, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I feel fine. Totally fine. <laughs> my life is chaotic on its own, but bro, this one's kicking my ass. Same. Same. But all the things that I've read and, and learned about these ones is Virgos are supposed to be getting their asses beat with this one. So Vir- Virgos, it's okay. It is going to pass. We will be good. We're there with you. We're, We're there with you. We're feeling it. <laughs> we really are. So, what are you drinking over there? I got something pumpkin-y. I'm so excited to bring back out the pumpkin. She loves her pumpkin beers. I do. She I had... get more excited about pumpkin beers than I do about pumpkin spice fucking lattes. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's an imperial pumpkin stout called Warlock. Ooh. I, just, I, remember, I just saw the box and I was very intrigued by the box and I know you pick things based off of how they like, look yeah I like the little dude on the side he's cute but it's made by Southern Tier um, not local it is Lakewood New York don't fuck know where that is probably could ask Sean he would tell me but um, it's very tasty it's not very pumpkin-y but it does have a pumpkin aftertaste I would probably give it a 9 I would definitely buy this again damn there's that, I like this a lot. There was that one pumpkin one you had last year, and you were like, this is horrid. Oh, that pumpkin apple cider? I don't or know. Whatever it, it was. It like was a, pumpkin cider. Sorry. Yeah, it was a pumpkin cider, and I tried it. It was tastes like shit. And yeah, you were no, like, you hated it. I yeah. remember that. But I know you love your pumpkin beers, you weirdo. I do. I love, I love beer. I know. You're a weirdo. I know. What you got? I have something new, because my husband came home or I came home and I'm cooking dinner before we decided to do this and I had nothing in the house to drink because she fucking drank it all I did and I haven't been to this because I've been crazy busy I haven't been able to stock myself back up on anything um so he quickly ran to the store and got me gooch hooch <laughs> <laughs> black blackberry blackberry gooch hooch moonshine <laughs> I just love that because it's Gooch Hooch because it's made in Goochland. Yes, Goochland, Virginia. So it's local and it smelled like Robitussin and on its own tasted like Robitussin no, a little I bit. Didn't. It has a really great aftertaste though, but I did because I don't want to get completely sloshed on this on this episode. 
<laughs> I have to, of course, have it as a mixer because it's moonshine, you guys. Come on, Missy. Drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> mm. I, like, I like what you did there. Um, but, so I mixed it with Sprite, and it's delicious. It is really good. I'm like savoring it you have to try it mixed because you tried it with the on its own and it, mm-hmm. it was good on its own so gooch hooch gooch in virginia you nailed it yep here uh, hey you want to try the beer nope why not it's unka me <sighs> oh shit hit he, the mic sorry lloyd he, <laughs> he's gonna leave that one <laughs> that's okay I like it better on its own. I I just said I didn't want to get completely hammered though on the on this episode. Although that would be a fun one. <laughs> that would be a fun Apparently, one. Apparently I am a fun drunk. All right. <laughs> you are a fun drunk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Don't oh, sniff it. No, it smells really good. Okay. I like Oh, I like the way it smells. I think you would like dark beers. This is the first one I've given you that's a a stout. Okay. I don't normally drink stouts on this show. Guys, it wouldn't be my first thing I'd grab. Okay, hold on. We're going to switch drinks back. Don't hit the mic. I try. (laughs) So, it wouldn't be the first thing I would grab. I would probably have a couple of things before that. But I might have one of those. See? I didn't gag the moment I, you know... Stouts are more like coffee. Yes, it has a coffee taste. That's exactly... I'm like... What is what is that flavor? You know what it needs a little bit in there though. To I'm not a bitter person. I know you are, so it needs a little something to cut the bitter flavor, which I think is salt. If you add salt to it, it cuts out some of the bitter. I think I I probably can drink that. It's not happy, which makes me happy. No stouts are not happy. It's not happy, which probably is why I would prefer dark beers. Yeah, I had a Guinness and I didn't I didn't mind that one actually. So I love Guinness, but. I only love Guinness on draft. If you give it to me out of a bottle or a can, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. But stouts are my favorite. That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. I give it a three. <laughs> what? Uh, that's pretty fucking high in my beer. That is pretty fucking high. Never mind. Yeah. I'll take it as a compliment. Because everything else I, I, would, I would say is a zero. I dig it. It's not bad. I will. It's way better than the other pumpkin one you had me try. Way oh, better. Pumpkin cider, yeah. Yeah. All right. What are we talking about? So you made a little reference about drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. We were talking about the one and only original Kool Aid Man, Jim Jones, mm. and one of the episodes I have is going to be of another cult leader, but um, that's in the works. But for some odd reason, something in me said I had to do this one first. I had to. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. Something was pulling at me. Something was driving me. I had to do it. So here it is. Um, I'm going to tell you, Toasties, for everything that it's worth, listen to every word of this this man that I'm going to tell you. Mm -hmm. Please. That is my only warning out there that listen to everything every word I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. So Jim Jones, the American cult leader. And I'm going to just quickly break down the definition of a cult. Okay. 
And this is according to dictionary.com. And I, I've got all eight definitions that they give in on here because they're just, I want everyone to understand what a cult is. Cult is a noun. One, a particular system of religious worship, especially with reference to its rites and ceremonies. Two, an instance of great veneration of a person, ideal, or thing, especially as manifested by a body of admirers, like the physical physical fitness cults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three, the object of such devotion. Four, a group or sect bound together by veneration of the same thing, person, ideal, etc. Five, sociology, a group having a sacred ideology and a set of rites centering around their sacred symbols. Six, a religion or sect considering considered to be false, unorthodox, or extremist with members off, often living outside of conventional society under the direction of a charismatic leader. Mm-hmm. Seven, the members of such a religion or sect. Eight, any system for treating human sickness that originated by a person usually claiming to have a soul insight into the nature of disease and that employs methods regarded as unorthodox or unscientific. I thought it was very important that everybody knew is not just religion that is a cult. One thing with people who have been in cults A lot of them say the same thing. They didn't realize they were in one until they got out. Yep. Another thing is they will all say is they are always reminded this is not a cult. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I just wanted to put that out there. So, who is Mr. Jim Jones? Let's learn about him today. You guys ready for this fucking doozy? Tell me all about him. Jim Jones was born... James Warren Jones on May 13th, 1931. So he's a Taurus. Mm. And that's a really shocking one, I just want to say. That's an earth sign. There are very, lack lack of better words, down-to-earth people. No, but they can be very bullheaded. Tauruses can, yes. But earth signs are a lot more grounded scented directions but anyways i digress he was born may 13th 1931 in crete indiana i hope i pronounced that right indiana c-r-e-t-e his parents were james thurman jones and lynetta jones his father was a veteran of the great war which was world war one and was a victim of mustard gas and lived on disability payments excuse me he did try to do, his dad tried to do occasional work on um, the neighborhood roads, and his mother was much younger and known as a feisty, independent woman. Mm. Jim's father came from a Baptist and Quaker lineage, but his mother had her doubts about a sky god and okay. would laugh off the neighbors that said that she was going to hell straighter than a bird can fly. So he had a very religious father, but he not so religious mother. 
Okay. Jim's father's illness led to financial difficulties, which did lead to intense marital problems between his parents. Um, in 1934, it's in the midst of the Great Depression, Jim and his family were evicted from their home for not being able to make the mortgage, and they ended up living in a shack that the family had purchased for them in Lynn, Indiana. This home that Jim grew up in, it lacked plumbing and electricity, and his family attempted to earn an income through farming. However, with Jim's, um, Jim's father's health, uh, further deteriorating, they were met with failures again and again. His family often lacked adequate food and relied on financial support from their extended family and sometimes resorted to foraging in nearby forests and fields to supplement their diet. Mm, okay. So it was already, I mean, he was instantly born yeah. into a very rough situation. You have the end of the of World War One. You have the Great Depression just started when he was born. Mm-hmm. So at an early age, difficulties right off the bat. Um, it was said that Jim's mother had no natural maternal instincts, and as a result, she was quite neglectful to Jim. When Jim started school, his extended family threatened to cut off the financial support unless his mom would go get a job. So the extended family that was, I think, supplying the money was her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They were, I don't know how they had money to be able to help support them, but they were like, you need to go get a job, which it's the depression. So that had to have been very yeah. difficult at the same time with, um, but his mom did get a job and with his mother working outside the home and his father's illness, it resulted, um, his father's illness resulted him in being hospitalized multiple times. Jim was left to himself quite often. Though he did have his aunts and uncles nearby to give him some supervision, Jim would often just be wandering the streets alone and sometimes naked. What? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. That that escalated very quickly. Yeah. Why is he naked? (laughs) I mean, I guess, I don't know, man. I'm still wondering why he's naked. (laughs) Who knows? Kids these days. In the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's even odder. I know. <laughs> what the fuck? Now, there are two different stories about Jim's youth. It was his own words and then, like, bi- biographers that have wrote about Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biographers stated that the female residents of Lynn cared for Jim, frequently inviting him into their homes, giving him clothes, food, and other gifts. But according to Jim, he would... He was a lone wolf. He recalled being the trash of the neighborhood, and he was a hellion. And he identified with the underdog fighting off bullies for other children, rescuing stray pets, and taking home beggars. And he said he would also explore every church in town, Quaker, Nazarene, Mm -hmm. Methodist, uh, Apostolic, and Church of Christ, just throwing himself into their particular rituals before he'd become just, like, bored with it and move on to the next. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. I mean, I guess if you got nothing else to... Nothing else to do, go to church. It's free. (laughs) I don't know. 
So Myrtle Kennedy, the wife of a Nazarene church pastor, developed a special attachment to Jim, and he she ended up giving him a Bible and encouraged him to study it. And she taught him to follow the holiness code of the Nazarene church. Okay. So while Jim was growing up and attending all these different churches, he was even baptized in several of the churches. That and seems a little fucked up. He was weird already. Naked <laughs> he kid. Can't, yeah. Naked kid walking down the street getting baptized at every church he walked in. Cannot commit. No. Stay away from him, ladies. Yep. Um, he developed a desire to become a preacher where he would begin to practice preaching in private. His mother claimed that she was disturbed when she caught him imitating the pastor of the local apostolic um, Pentecostal church. And she even tried to prevent him from attending the church services, but was unsuccessful. I was just about to ask you if you think that maybe so, that it was just more so that he liked the view of the control of the pastor as to why he went to all these churches like he wanted to experience each of the best we'll get into that yeah yeah i see it already yeah we'll get into that um jim's neighbors although had sympathy for him because of his poor circumstances they did report that he was an unusual child who was obsessed with religion and death he would regularly visit a casket manufacturer in the area, and he would hold mock funerals for roadkill that he collected. And one neighbor stated that he killed a cat with a knife for one of these funerals. And when he could not get any of the children to attend these funerals, he would just do them alone. Me. I just want to say how much that's a contradiction to what Jim said about his childhood. Yeah. Because Jim's like, I saved all the stray animals, yet you're that's probably why, sir, because you went and killed them yourself. But I was also about to say, like, I was a kid that was extremely obsessed with death. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe because I saw my grandmother die at a young age. It was, a, like, a curious <laughs> thing for me. I didn't quite understand it. But I never described it as, like, a caring matter. Like, it was more so of, like, like more so I was obsessed with the funerals. Oh, it's a big gathering of people. And yeah. you're a kid. Yeah. I could see it. You think it's a party. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. For a kid to be like, funerals are cool because all my family are here together. You don't understand why they're crying, but they're just all there together. I didn't kill animals exactly i just held them for my for my barbie dolls <laughs> i buried them in my yard make little coffins out of them but anyways jim jones <laughs> yeah so stop that we we'll stop you there uh so jim also claimed he had special abilities he claimed that he could fly and to prove it he jumped off roofs of buildings he did end up breaking his arm doing so, but nonetheless persisted in saying that he had these abilities, and he would end up putting other children in danger and to tell them that he was the was guarded by the angel of death. What the fuck? Okay. No, I just want to say, when I was a child, I, I, want, I didn't think I could fly, but I wanted to fly, and that mm-hmm. is how I broke my arm. <laughs> I mean, I jumped off many roofs. I've never broke anything, but I think that's also, like, all a kid goes through. Like, it's just, it's just a kid thing. 
Yeah, I catapulted myself. <laughs> of course you fucking did. <laughs> Would you have your, like, four siblings jump on top of something so you could fly off? No, I had my one cousin. Um, So my grandma had, like, those old school wooden sandboxes mm-hmm. in her backyard with a wooden cover yeah. that was just basically fucking plywood. Right? Mm-hmm. So I took the cover and my cousin and I put it on half on, half off. And we would take turns, like one would stand on it and the other one would jump on the other end and we'd kind of like bounce up in the air. I would only get him to maybe bounce about like an inch because he was way bigger than me, even though he was younger than me. <laughs> um, he was just, he was a big kid. Um, but I, in my five, six-year-old brain was like, we need more apparently inertia or something, you know, the laws of physics here. And the faster and hard, the faster you run and the harder you jump, the higher you'd fly. Mm -hmm. But you can only jump hard if you ran more and you ran fast. So I was like, all right, here's the deal. My grandma's backyard's huge. At least it seemed like it was to me. Now that I look at my grandma's backyard, I'm like, it's not that big. It's really not that big. Um, But then again, her tree line has like, is growing towards her house. So that could be why. Um. But I had him, like, I was like, you need to now run every inch of this backyard as fast and hard as you can. And then as, as once you get full speed of your running, you're going to come and you're going to just jump on the side and I'm going to fly. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and we did that. <laughs> we did that. And I just, I'm standing there. I'm like I eager. Imagine baby missing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eager as shit. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking fly. I'm gonna fucking fly. You're, you're like, I'm ready to fucking take off, motherfuckers. Watch me fucking go. <laughs> and he runs. And he, I'm just watching my cousin running. And here he comes and he does. He jumps and he lands. And I flew, bitches. And then I fell. And then gravity I, is an effect. <laughs> And then I bounced, and that is how my arm broke because it, like, was tucked up under me, and I landed like this when I bounced, and the bone went, and then because because I bounced, it reset itself, but it reset itself on top of each other. Oh, God. <laughs> Back on to Jim Jones. Yeah. Just saying, guys, don't jump off of buildings. You will break your arm or something. We can't fly. We cannot fly. <laughs> Missy tested it. I tested it. It's not approved. <laughs> no. I got a cool cast out of it, though, man. Um, <laughs> Angel of death. <laughs> he, he also did countless sacrilegious pranks in the churches he attended. He claimed that he had stolen a Bible in covered Acts 2.38 with mm-hmm. cow manure. And he substituted a cup of his own urine for the holy water once in a Catholic church. What? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yeah. Like he, like, and passed it around? I have no idea. I just know that that was. I don't want to know. I yeah. don't want to know. Keep going. Yep. So in high school, Phyllis Wilmore, a girl that he dated, remember a pep, remembered a pep rally before a basketball game. Uh, she said he was he has the skills to be a preacher. She said, quote, Jimmy decided to stage an elaborate funeral for the other school. He got up 
and started preaching and did an incredible job. He had control and inflection. It was like the real thing, but was all intended to be a joke. He was self-assured on stage. He had that coal black hair and piercing eyes that would look right through you, end quote. And I I kind of jumped ahead with this because I just felt like with the funeral thing, it just fit into where the story's at. But I'm just wondering now, like, they all thought it was a joke then. It's kind of... Yeah, this guy really liked funerals. Uh-huh. So one biographer suggested that Jim developed his unusual interests because he found it difficult to make friends. Although his religious practices stood out the most, it was reported that he misbehaved in more serious ways. He frequently stole candy from merchants in town, and his mother would have to pay for his thefts. He would use offensive language, commonly greeting his friends and neighbors by saying, quote, good morning, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Or, quote, you, hello, you dirty bastard. Which I guess in the thirties, like that, <laughs> that seems such a much better way to start my fucking day. Like I, I, I'm assuming in the 1930s, like that's like that's bad. That's bad for a kid to be talking like that. Yeah, but it seems fun to wake Sean up. Be like, Good morning, you beautiful son of a bitch. <laughs> Hello, you dirty bastard. Um, but he learned these behaviors from his mother. Who found amusement in people's offense when she would swear in public? Because remember, like I said, this is the 1930s, mm-hmm. 1940s. Like a woman talking like that, of course, is like <gasps> gasp, chest grab. How- was she from the U.S.? Yeah. Okay. She, she was. was a, she was a different breed. She was a different breed. She was ahead of her time. Um. De- this is where things start getting a little intense, though. Jim developed an intense interest in religion, and Mm -hmm. social doctrines. He became a big reader studying Adolf Hitler, Joseph Mm. Stalin, Mm. Karl Marx, Mm. and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Mm -hmm. Gandhi? Yes. Mahatma Gandhi? Yeah. I don't know why I struggled on that. And he even said that Mao Zedong was his hero. Ooh. Yeah. He would spend hours studying and learning different political systems. And when World War II started, Jim developed an intense interest in the Nazi party. Hmm. He was fascinated by their pomp, their cohesion, and Hitler's total power. So it wasn't what Hitler was doing, but he loved what Hitler, how Hitler could control that many people. Members of the neighborhood found it horrible, his fondness for Nazi Germany. Jim acted as a dictator over the kids, ordering them around and beating those who disobeyed. Some recalled him even shouting, Hail Hitler, and giving Nazi salute to German prisoners of war who traveled through their town to the detention facilities. Mm. Yeah. So things are starting to look a little... A little odd for Jimmy boy here. Uh, Jim went to see the Kennedy family in 1942 when they spent the summer in Richmond, Indiana. Mm-hmm. 
They took part in services four times a week while attending a summer religious convention at a nearby Pentecostal church. And when Jim returned to Lynn, he explained in detail sexual reproduction to young children. The neighborhood urged his mother to get him under control, but she refused. She, so at this point, the neighborhood just started to keep the kids away from him. Um, and they, at this point, Jim deemed himself an outcast. It almost seems like he's got, like, a very confusing mixture of both parents. Yeah. <clears throat> when asked about his childhood, this is a really weird thing. Um, but when he was asked about his childhood, he said, quote, I was ready to kill by the end of third grade. I mean, what? I was so aggressive and hostile. I was ready to kill. Nobody gave me love and understanding. In those days, a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions. There was some kind of school performance and everybody's parents was there but mine. I'm standing there alone always alone so he had a, he had a lot of hatred for his family mhm that's why he needed to control some situations mhm okay a journalist and a biographer named Tim Ritterman wrote that Jim's attraction to religion was strongly influenced by his desire for family yeah you can see that mhm in high school, Jim was a good student, and he went by the name Jimmy, which in that earlier quote about yeah. is why she referred to him as Jimmy. He always carried a Bible with him, and he enjoyed debating with his teachers. He did, however, have a habit of refusing to respond to people that spoke to him first and only engaged in conversations he starts. Hmm. So at this point, you're starting to see that God complex coming. Yeah. By any chance, do you know his IQ? And you know, I did not find anything about that. I would have should quickly look that up in a minute here. Yeah. You can look I'll, it up I'll while look we're it up while you're talking. Mm-hmm. He would only dress in his Sunday best every day, and frequently confronted his peers for drinking beer, smoking, and dancing. The scandal. Hmm. He would even interrupt other young people's events and insist that they read the Bible with him. Ew. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Don't mean to offend anybody, but ew. Jim did not play sports because he hated losing, but he did coach teams for younger children instead. Which, if you hate losing, why would you even be a coach? Because you're going to have that potential of losing, you know? Because still, it's about control. Yeah, it's true. You think he can change the situation. I guess so. Uh, Jim was disturbed by the treatment of African Americans who were in attendance at a baseball game he attended in Richmond, Indiana. The events of this treatment brought discrimination against African Americans to Jim's attention and influenced his strong aversion to racism. Mm -hmm. Jim's father belonged to the KKK in Indiana and again I guess I have to remind you this is the 1940s probably now starting to leak into the 50s um not saying that it's right not saying that it's right that's just that's where we're at right now so that is why somebody is in that disgusting group 
um, which got a um, Jim, so he was the father was in that in mm-hmm. Indiana, which got a long of support from the Indiana branch during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim recalled how he and his father had a disagreement about race, resulting in them not speaking for many many years, and this argument was because. His father forbid James's or Jim's black friend from entering their home. Excuse me? Yep. I know. Mm. It's like, it just, reading about this and hearing like all this blows my mind how it was not that long ago. It wasn't. But it seems like forever and just. And that's like, that's what frustrates me when you. Not to get, like, I'm trying not to. But in the most politest way, when people are like, racism is still not a thing. It didn't happen that long ago. Mm -hmm. Like, you're still dealing with families whose grandparents are dealing with it. So you're going to see some reverberation from it. Mm -hmm. And either way, it's fucked up. Be patient. Be Be kind. Right. And break those generational traumas exactly you can break them you don't have to carry on that that bullshit back to the story (laughs) so you want to answer to that oh the iq thing yeah 121 oh that's close to genius level yeah okay very close no it's it's still a little far off but it's close well you're thinking about also the 19 1930s 1940s that's yeah that's high that's high yeah Okay. Jim's parents eventually did divorce in 1945, and Jim and his mother moved to Richmond, Indiana, where Jim graduated from Richmond High School in December of 1948, and he graduated early with honors. Because of this divorce, Jim and his mother lost the financial support from family, so Jim got a job as an orderly at Richmond Reed Hospital in 1946. He was well-liked by the senior management. However, staff members said he was exhibiting disturbing behaviors towards some patients and co-workers. And this is when Jim also started dating nurse in training named Marceline May Baldwin while working at the hospital. In 1948, Jim moved to Bloomington, Indiana to attend Indiana University Bloomington mm-hmm. with intentions to becoming a doctor. He did change his mind shortly after starting school, though. And God. Wh- <laughs> I know, right? While there, Jim was impressed by a speech which Eleanor Roosevelt delivered about the horrible situations of the African Americans, and he began to follow support for communism. What the fuck? And other radical political views. What the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And for the first time, this is Jim. Um, well, Jim was studying all the polit- political parties. Uh-huh. He never followed one over the other. He just literally took the time to learn about every single politic party that is out there. As everybody should. Just like he did with the churches. Mm-hmm. He went to every different type of church. And this is when... He had to be well-educated on the subject. Oh, he was very well-educated on the subject. That's where his IQ kicks in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He was very well educated on these subjects when it came to different churches and how they work. And he was very well educated in different political parties and how they work. And for some odd reason, listening to Eleanor Roosevelt, communism is the one he decided to choose. I'm kind of curious. I want to know the speech he listened to. Jim and Marceline continued their relationship while he was in college and eventually married in June of 1949. They had their first home in Bloomington, where Marceline worked in a nearby hospital. Now, Marceline was a Methodist, and this caused a major strain on their marriage. Mm -hmm. Jim and Marceline fell into arguments about church and how the Methodist church practiced a racial segregation. And we all know Jim's not about that life. Mm -hmm. And his very strong opposition of that kind of behavior just caused a big strain. Jim frequently, emotionally, and psychologically abused Marceline. Jim insisted that um, they attended Bloomington's full gospel tabernacle. Mm -hmm. But eventually, (laughs) this this is kind of funny. But eventually compromised and began to attend the local Methodist church. That is the most. That's w- not a compromise. Exactly. I was like, that is the most like. What the fuck? That is, I had to word it that way, too, because that's how they worded it. I was like, that is the most female thing ever. You know how they're like, my wife wanted a dog and I said she can't have a dog. So we mm-hmm. compromised and got a dog. <laughs> so they attended the Methodist church most Sundays. Um, but attending. But despite attending church every week, Jim privately pressed Marceline to accept atheism. Yeah. There's a lot of twists and turns that are going to make your face just be like, where the fuck did that come from? He's so very curious because he still wants to be educated. So that way he can still ultimately gain control. Yeah. So Jim was very insecure Um, And their marriage felt the insecurities, and he would test Marceline's love and loyalty in very sadistic ways. He would tell her one of her closest friends or family members died. And then he would comfort her and help her get over it. And then when she seemed like she was okay, like, then he's like, yeah, I'm lying. They're fine. What the fuck? Yeah. In 1951... Jim and Marceline moved to Indianapolis, where Jim took night classes at Butler University to continue his education. There, he began to attend gatherings for the Communist Party USA. Jim and his family faced harassment from the government authorities for their affiliation with the Communist Party in 1952. Oh, really? His mother was harassed by FBI agents in front of her co-workers because she attended one of the meetings with her son. So he <clears throat> made that much of a stink. Uh-huh. And frustrated by the persecutions, uh, perse- persecutions of communists in the USA, Jim reflected back on his participation and asked himself, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? And the thought was, infiltrate the church. I mean, it makes sense from his point of view. hmm This is when Jim announced to his wife and her family, 
that he was going to become a Methodist minister. Oh boy. Here we go. Buckle in, bitches. Believing the church was ready to put real socialism into practice. He was surprised the help he got from the Methodist district superintendent because they knew Jim to be a communist. Mm -hmm. And you can already now start to see the twisted thoughts that he had. He doesn't like the Methodist church. They believe in racism and segregation. But he's manipulating them, so he's trying to take control. Yeah. So he hated the fact that communists got so much hate in America. So mm-hmm. he's like, let's let's test he, this Marxism. He thought they needed more control. Infiltrate a church. So he got himself as a minister in the Methodist church. He hates them. So where did he put himself? At the front line. That's brilliant, though. It is. I, I, I like, yeah, yeah. I, he's, he's a genius. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Summer of 1952, Jim was hired as a student pastor at Somerset Southside Methodist Church, where he launched a project to create a playground that would be open to children of all races. In 1954, Jim was dismissed from his position in the Methodist Church for stealing church um, funds, but Jim claimed it was because the leaders forbid him for integrating blacks into his congregation. Mm -hmm. While Jim was with the Methodist Church, he visited and spoke at a Pentecostal church's And around 1953, while he was visiting a Pentecostal Latter Rain Convention in Columbus, Indiana, a woman prophesied that Jim was a prophet with a great ministry. Jim was surprised by the endorsement, but gladly accepted the call to preach and rose to the podium to deliver a message to the crowd. Pentecostalism was in the midst of the healing revival and latter rain movements during the 1950s. And the latter rain healing rivals was where people like went and like, I'm yeah. going to heal you. I'm here from God to take. Yeah, very, very Pentecostal. Yeah. Very, very much so. Oh, God. Believing that racial integrating, um, believing that the racially integrated and rapidly growing latter rain movement movement offered him a great opportunity, Jim convinced his wife to leave the Methodist church and join the Pentecostals. Jim attended and preached and preaching at a at the Laurel Street Tabernacle in Indianapolis, a Pentecostal Assembly of God church. Mm -hmm. and held healing revivals until 1955 and then began to travel and speak to other churches in the latter rain movement. Yeah. However, the Assemblies of God was strongly opposed to the latter rain movement. In 1955, they assigned a new pastor to the Laurel Street Tabernacle who enforced their denominational ban on healing revivals. This led Jim to leave and establish Wings of Healing, a new church that would later become what we all know t- today, People's 
temple. Mm. 20 people from the Laurel Street Church followed Jim there. And this made it hard to financially support his vision. So Jim saw a need for publicity and began seeking a way to publicize his ministry and recruiting members. So now Jim has his own church. He started his own congregation. Now the Lateran movement, for like I said, those who don't know, was also named the New Order. It was a post-World War II movement within the Pentecostal Christianity, and the movement saw itself as a continuation of the restoration of early Pentecostalism. Okay. So it was their way of bringing back the old school way Mm -hmm. that they worked. Jim began to closely associate with the Independent Assemblies of God, an international group of churches which embraced the latter movement and Independent Assembly of God, also known as IAOG. That's funny. In 1956, (laughs) Jim was ordained as an IAOG minister by Joseph Matson Bose, a leader in the latter rain movement. Mm -hmm. Um, The IAOG and in June of 1956, Jim held a healing convention in Indianapolis Cattle Tabernacle. And needing a well-known figure to draw crowds, he argued to, or he arranged to share the pulpit with Bronham. And Bronham was known to tell attendees their name, address, and and why they came for prayer before he would pronounce them healed. Mm-hmm. So he would kind of like, yeah, yeah. So he, Bronham was like, he was a big wig. Mm-hmm. Like people knew him. People came far and wide to see him. A lot of people did that back in the day. Mm-hmm. So um, Jim was intrigued by Bronham's methods and performed the same way. And together, Jim and Bronham were so successful, attracting an audience of 11,000 people at their first joint campaign. Wow, that's ginormous back in the day. Uh-huh. Bronham issued a prophet endorsement of Jim and his ministry saying God used the convention to send forth a new great ministry. Many people Jim's performance indicated um, he possessed a supernatural gift and with the words from Bronham led a rapid growth of People's Temple. Newspaper reports regarded regular attendance at People's Temple swelled to a thousand Thanks to the publicity of Bronham provided to Jim and the People's Temple. So because of all this, he went from 20 people in his church to 1,000 people. Mm. Yeah. Jim continued for quite a while um, participating in a series of multi-state revival campaigns alongside Bronham. And eventually Jim adopted one of the latter reign's key doctrines which he continued to promote for the rest of his life, the manifestation sons of God. This belief was that individuals could become manifestations of God with supernatural gifts and superhuman abilities. They believed that such a manifestation signaled the second coming of Christ. Mm. And people endowed 
with these gifts would usher in a millennial age of heaven on earth. Jim was fascinated with the idea and adapted it to promote his own utopian ideas and eventually the idea that he was himself a manifestation of God. And by the late 1960s, Jim came to teach he was a manifestation of Christ the Revolution. So our Mm. God complex has come full force. Though Bronham was Jim's major influence in recruitments and teaching, he eventually separated from the latter rain movement following a bitter disagreement with Bronham in which Jim prophesied Bronham's death. However, their disagreement was possibly related to Bronham's racial teachings or Bronham's increasing vocal opposition to communism. So those are the possible reasons. So two, those two went separate. Hmm. Though the Lateran movement, um, through the Lateran movement, sorry, Jim became aware of Father Divine, an African American spiritual leader mm-hmm. of the International Peace Mission movement, who was often derided by Pentecostal ministers for his claim to divinity. Jim met him in 1956 to investigate Father Divine in Philadelphia and carefully explain that his visit to the peace mission was so he could give an authentic, unbiased, and objective statement about the activities to his fellow Pentecostal ministers. Okay. So he's scoping out just another Mm -hmm. person. It's really all he's doing. He's educating himself. Mm Mm-hmm. About other... As an individual, I like this man. I don't like who he is, but I like this man. Hmm. It's every cult follower. Father Divine was another important influence on the development of Jim's ministry. Mm-hmm. Jim made a second visit to Father Divine in 1958 to learn more about his practices and would brag to his congregation that he would like to be the successor of Father Divine and made many comparisons between the two ministries. He would begin to use the disciplinary practices he learned from Father Divine, which increasingly took control over the lives of members of People's Temple. Jim gradually separated from Pentecostalism and the Lateran movement and sought another organization he thought would be open to his beliefs. And I wrote the date wrong. I'm going to assume it's 1960. And I just flipped the zeros and the sixes in 1960 (laughs) People's Temple. I'm like, 1906? What the hell am I going with that? In 1960, People's Temple joined the Disciples of Christ denomination, whose headquarters were nearby in Indianapolis. A man named Archie assured Jim that the organization would tolerate his political beliefs. And Jim was finally ordained by Disciples of Christ in 1964. So, again, he's ordained Mm -hmm. with another church. Jim was ordained as a disciple or uh, as a disciple minister at Mm -hmm. a time when the requirements for ordination varied greatly. And disciple members was open to any church. In both 1974 and 1977, 
the disciples' leadership received allegations of abuse at People's Temple. They conducted investigations at the time, but they found no evidence of wrongdoing. They actually found that People's Temple to be an exemplary Christian ministry overcoming human differences and dedicated to human services. In 1960, the Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell appointed Jim Director of Local Human Rights Commission. Jim, however, ignored Boswell's advice to keep a low profile and he used the position to secure new outlets for his views on local radio and TV programs. He was asked by the mayor and commissioners to curtail his publications, but he refused. And Jim was wildly cheered at meetings uh, of the NAACP and the Urban League when he encouraged his audience to be more uh, militant, capping his speech with, let my people go. He would hold sting operations in order to catch restaurants, which refused to serve black customers. He helped racially integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone companies, the police department, a theater, amusement parks, uh, Indiana's University Health and Methodist Hospital, which, I mean, fucking awesome on that part. Yeah. I'll, I'll give him that. That's great. That's what I'm saying. Like, I kind of I kind of like the man, but, like, I know the man, though, too. So, like, it's... In, I'm struggling. <laughs> in 1961, Jim suffered a collapse and was hospitalized. The hospital accidentally placed Jim in its black ward. And he refused to be moved. He began to make the beds and empty bedpans of black patients. Um, Political pressure, which resulted for Jim's actions, caused hospital officials to desegregate the wards. So again, awesome. Because of Jim's integration views, People's Temple became a target, though, of white supremacists. Mm. Among several incidences, a swastika was placed on the temple, a stick of dynamite was left in the temple coal pile, and a dead cat was thrown at Jim's house after a threatening phone call. I don't know what the dead cat thing has to do with anything. Maybe for his childhood funerals. I don't know. Nonetheless, this uh, publicity attracted an even larger congregation. Jim and his wife adopted several non-white children, and Jim referred to his household as a rainbow family and stated that integration is more of a personal thing now, and it is a question of his son's future. He also portrayed the temple as his rainbow family because that was very integrated as well. There's a lot of different people in his, his congregation. Um, in 1954, Jim adopted their Jim and his wife adopted their first child, Ings, A G N E S. I think it's pronounced Ings. Um, who was part Native American. Mm-hmm. In 1959, they adopted three Korean American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne, and encouraged Temple members to adopt orphans from war ravaged Korea as well. Stephanie, however, did die at age five. 
in a car accident in May of 1959, which was really sad. That is sad. June 1959, Jim and his wife did have a biological child named Stephen Gandhi. And that was their only biological child. And I accidentally hit a wrong button, guys. Give me a second. I'm sorry. Oh, wait. No, it's okay. There it is. I did not hit as far as I thought I, thought I did. I'm over here pondering <laughs> very hard. In 1961, Jim and his wife became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child, naming him Jim Jones Jr. And they adopted a white son originally named Timothy Glenn Tupper or Tim whose birth mother was a member of Temple, Jim fathered Jim John Chemo with a Temple me- member, Carolyn Layton. So I'm assuming he had sex with another woman and had a kid with this woman is what that meant. That's the only thing you can take from Which that. is weird. In 1961, Jim warned his congregation that he had received visions of a nuclear attack that would devastate Indianapolis. His wife did confide to a friend that he was becoming increasingly paranoid and fearful. And Jim began to look for a way to escape the destruction. He believed he was coming, or he believed that was coming, and traveled to South America to scout out a site to relocate People's Temple. It was believed, like other followers of Bronham who moved to South America during the 1960s, Jim may have been influenced by Bronham's 1961 prophecy concerning the destruction of the U.S. in a nuclear war. He went around um, stopping in Georgetown, Guyana, Mm -hmm. on his way to Brazil, and he continued to Brazil. Uh, studying the local economy and receptiveness of racial minorities to his message, but found language to be a barrier. I'm a, I'm a little curious as to how he had all these children, but had this one main huge hobby. How was he taking care of them? He wasn't. It wasn't... Like, they had to have been, like, struggling. That or he was embezzling. Like, it was owed to him. Oh. We'll get to that part. Yeah. He he was careful not to portray himself as a communist. He spoke of an apostolic communal lifestyle rather than Marxism. Then they moved to Rio de Janeiro in the mid-1963 Unable to find a place he deemed suitable, Jim became plagued with guilt for abandoning the civilian's rights struggle in Indiana. During the time he was gone, people's temple attendance dropped to less than 100. Oof. Yeah. Eventually, the church went into debt, and Archie sent word to Jim that the temple was about to collapse and he was going to resign if Jim did not return home. When Jim returned, he found People's Temple was bitterly divided, and due to low attendance and funds, he was forced to sell the building and relocate into a smaller place. 
Jim went back to revival circuits, traveling and holding healing campaigns to raise money to possibly distract people's temple. He told them that they needed to all move to California for safety from the nuclear war that was going to engulf them in July 5th, and on July 15th, 1967, which would lead to a new socialist Eden on Earth. Hmm. July 1965, <clears throat> Jim and his followers made the move to their new location in Redwood Valley, California. A man named Russell Winberg, People's Temple's assistant pastor, strongly resisted Jim's efforts to move the congregation and warned members that Jim was abandoning Christianity. Mm-hmm. Russell took over leadership of the Indianapolis church when Jim departed, and about 140 of Jim's most loyal followers made the move to California while the rest stayed behind. While in California, Jim took a job as a history and government teacher at an adult education school in Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H. Yeah, Ukiah. In, in California, while and while there, Jim used his position to recruit for People's Temple, teaching his students the benefits of Marxism and lecturing on religion. And Jim would use loyal members of People's Temple in the classes to help him with recruitment. And he recruited 50 new members, and in 1967, he coaxed another 75 members of the Indianapolis congregation to move to California. Soon, Jim developed a theology influenced by the teachings of Bronham and the Latter Rain Movement, mm -hmm. Father Divine's Divine Economic Socialism teachings, and infused with his personal communist worldviews. So you see, he took a little bit of everything that he has learned to make his own thing. I'm going to hold my comments till the end. He referred to his views as apostolic socialism. He concealed his communist aspects until the late 1960s, following the relocations of People's Temple to California, California, where he began to gradually introduce his full beliefs to his followers. No oh boy. Jim asserted that traditional Christianity had an incorrect view of God and taught that, quote, those who remain drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment, end quote, which he defined as socialism. Mm -hmm. He thought that enlightenment, enlightenment was socialism. By early 1970, Jim began deriding traditional Christianity as a flyaway religion, rejecting the Bible as being a tool to oppress women and non-whites. He referred to tr traditional Christianity views of God as the sky God, who was not a God at all, mm -mm. and insisted instead claimed to be God. At this point, he is now God and no God beside him. He increasingly promoted the idea of his own divinity, going so far as to tell his congregation that, quote, I am come as God's socialist, 
However, Jim carefully avoided claiming divinity outside of people's temple, but he expected to be acknowledged as godlike among his followers. So he didn't have that same person outside of his congregation. He was only godlike with his congregation, his followers. Because he was, he was, he was trying to be smart about it. Like, uh, oh God! All right, comments at the end. But uh-huh. Jim attacked traditional Christiana Christianity further by criticizing the King James Bible, dismissing King James as a slave owner and capitalist who was responsible for the corrupt translation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. and claimed he was sent to share the true meaning of the gospel, which had been hidden mm-hmm. by corrupt leaders. I had some comments in my head on that one. Yeah, I do too, but, like, I mean, King James, I don't agree with him either, but that's hard because I, I don't disagree with him, but I disagree with him. Uh-huh. Jim continued to warn his followers of an immediate um, apocalyptic nuclear race war that was coming. He claimed the Nazis and white supremacists would be would put people of color in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Jim said he was the Messiah sent to save people, and the only and the only way to be saved is to accept his teachings. And after the apocalypse was over, they would emerge to establish a perfect communist society. Of course they would. Mm -hmm. Again, though, Jim took caution in showing his true political views of communism in fear he would lose his support of political leaders and risk people's temple being ejected from disciples of of Christ. Jim feared losing the church's tax-exempt status and having to report his financial dealings to the IRS. Well, if you don't see where this is going, I don't know about y'all, but my IQ is, like, kicking. (laughs) After moving to California, Jim started to use illicit drugs, which heightened his paranoia. He increasingly used fear to control and manipulate his followers Again, frequently reminding them there was an enemy out seeking to destroy them all. The identity changed over time from the KKK to the Nazis to redneck vigilantes and finally the American government. So that person was always something different that was coming to get them. I think the only one that's most threatening is the American government, but that's my own opinion. (laughs) He frequently prophesied that fires, car accidents, and death or injury would come upon anyone unfaithful to him and his teachings. Eventually, Jim established a planning commission made up of his lieutenants to direct the People's Temple communal lifestyle. Members who joined People's Temple turned over all their assets to the church in exchange for free room and board. Members who worked outside the temple turned over their income to be used for the benefit of the community. Mm. The first this is creepy. Uh-huh. 
The first known case of serious abuse in Temple's People's Temple arose in California as the planning commission carried out disciple against members who were not fulfilling Jim's vision or following rules. Mm-hmm. Jim control over the Jim's control over the members of People's Temple extended to their sex lives and who could be married. Some members were coerced to get abortions, and Jim began to require sexual favors from the wives of some members of the church and raped several male members of the congregation. Members who rebelled against Jim's control were punished with reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, public ridicule and humiliations, and sometimes with physical violence. So this is not like a church church. This is like a community now. Oh, no. This is still just in California. But it seems like a community. It doesn't seem like a church. Mm-hmm. Like, he's created a community. It's not a church. He thinks it's still just a church. No, this is a community now that he's created. Mm-hmm. This is a bonding of people. Mm-hmm. Under one ideal belief. That's a community. That's a going to be a cult. You're working into it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As the Temple members grew, Jim created an armed security group to ensure order among his followers and to guarantee his own personal safety. Mm-hmm. People's Temple grew rapidly, and by 1970, the Temple opened branches in several cities, including San Francisco, San Fernando, and Los Angeles. You've got to be fucking kidding me. There's that many st- fucking stupid people out there. Did, yeah. I'm sorry. There's <sighs> that many fucking stupid people. I'm sorry if you're fucking offended. That's fucking stupid. Just, just wait. By 1973, People's Temple reached 2,570 members. My brain just dropped out of my forehead. How can you be that fucking stupid? With 36,000 subscribers to his fundraising newsletter. Ah, the fuck. 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 Keep going. Jim began to receive negative press at the beginning in October of 1971 when reporters covered one covered one of Jones's divine healing services during a visit to his old church in Indiana. The news report led to an investigation by the Indiana State Psychology Board into Jim's healing practices. A doctor involved in the investigation accused Jim of quackery. What the fuck is that? He was a quack. Yeah, I know he's a quack, (laughs) but what is quackery? Is that a medical term? I don't know. (laughs) I I am going to use that from now on. What is you, this quackery? You have quackery. <laughs> and, I, I am not listening. Quackery. And <laughs> challenged Jim to give him a tissue sample of the material he claimed that fell off of people when they were healed of cancer. The investigation caused alarm with the temple. Jim was fearful that, that his methods would be exposed by investigation. So he ended his ministry in Indiana, claiming it to be... It was too far from California for him to attend to and downplayed his healing claims to authorities. The issue only escalated, however, when Lester Kinsolving ran a series of articles targeting Jim and People's Temple in San Francisco Examiner in September of 1972, claiming he was a hoax. 
1973, Ross Case, a former follower of Jim, began working with a group in Yukia to investigate People's Temple. They uncovered a staged healing, the abusive treatment of a woman in the church, and evidence that Jim raped a male member of his congregation. Reports of Ross's activity reached Jim, which increased his paranoia, but Jim's report reported his findings to the authorities and no action was taken. Of course, fucking not. December 13th, 1973, Jim was arrested and charged with lewd conduct for allegedly masturbating in the presence of a male undercover LAPD officer in a movie theater restroom near L.A. McCarthy Park. But on December 20th, 1973, the charge was dismissed. Though the details of the dismissal are not clear, the court file was sealed and the judge ordered the records to be destroyed. Who's the dick? He's fucking sucking. What the fuck just happened? In the fall of 1973, Jim and the Planning Commission devised a plan to escape the U.S. in the event of a government raid and decided to look again in South America. And by the summer of 1974, land and supplies were purchased in Guyana. And by December 1974, the first group arrived to start operating the commune that would become known as Jonestown. Here we go. Jim returned to the U.S. to try and combat the negative press, but to no avail. Multiple articles have come now about the abuse in People's Temple, convincing Jim that it was time to permanently relocate to South America. He began to compel members of the People's Temple to make the move with him. He promoted the commune as means to create both socialist paradise and sanctuary from the media scrutiny in San Francisco. Once they arrived in Jonestown, Jim prevented members from leaving the settlement. Oh, no shit. Jonestown had about 50 settlers at the start of 1974. That's a lot. That's a lot of people to get to relocate. That's all I'm saying. That's a lot. Who were expanding the commune, but it was not ready to handle the influx of settlers. Jim was warned the facilities could only support maybe 200 people, but Jim believed the need to relocate was urgent and determined to move immediately. And in May of 1977, Jim and about 600 of his followers arrived in Jonestown. About 400 more followed in the subsequent month. Jim started to move the temple's financial assets overseas and started selling off the property in the U.S. People's Temple at this time had over $10 million dollars. At this time, at this point, he's building his own government. Yes. Which, $10 million today would be $43 million. Yeah, he's building, he's building his own government. You were asking he about is, money earlier. Yeah. He is absolutely, like, this may sound fucked up. I love this man. He is absolutely intellectual. He's, he's fucking brilliant. He's fucking smart. But at the same time... You can see he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. He's a sadistic motherfucker. 
but he knows what he's doing. Despite the negative press, Jim was was still well-respected outside of People's Temple for his racial inter- integrated churches. 68% of Jonestown residents were black. The living conditions were very rough in Jonestown. Members worked six days a week from around 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., but it eventually dropped to an eight-hour workday with an hour lunch when Jim's health started to fail and his wife started to take on more management of Jonestown's activities. After the workday, members would then attend several hours of activities in the pavilion, including classes on socialism. Jim's new readings usually portrayed the U.S. as a capitalist and imperialist villain, while casting socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung, Robert Mugabe, M-U-G-A-B-E, and Joseph Stalin in a positive light. As time went, gosh, damn it, I did it again. (laughs) I suck at this, guys. I'm so sorry. As time went on, more and more scrutiny was on Jonestown in the U.S. There were a few that were able to escape this place and make it back to the U.S. Um, The abuse that was reported by one member that left named Deborah Layton Mm -hmm. included members who spoke out were taken to the medical unit and put on coma-inducing drugs, including Thorazine, Thorazine, sodium pentothal, chloral hydrate, Demerol, Mm -hmm. and Valium. Some of these people were used by Jim as sex slaves. I wonder why. Others had a python wrapped around their neck, Children who cried about wanting to go back to the States were lowered into dark wells at night. One man was forced into a box underground where he stayed for several days or nights or weeks. The box was a punishment devised by Jim involving a six by four by three foot plywood coffin shaped box in which a person was confined and held underground while they were constantly berated and uh, reprimed for their perceived slights against the commune. So beforehand, you, you see, like, a political move. Now you're seeing very sadistic and selfish move. Yeah. It was... Also stated that Jonestown residents were being deliberately starved. They were given rice for breakfast, rice water soup for lunch, and rice and beans for dinner on Sundays. They were each given an egg and a cookie. Two or three times a week they had vegetables. Some very weak and elderly members received an egg per day. However, Jim didn't get the same meals as the rest because he had blood sugar problems. A few of his inner circle received the same meal as him. Well, this is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Jim was facing increasing scrutiny and attempted to negotiate for his commune to resettle in the Soviet Union. <laughs> Jim's paranoia increased in Jonestown as he became fearful of a government raid on the commune, concerned his community would 
not be able to resist an attack, he began to hold drills to test the readiness. He, and he called these drills white knights. He would get on a loudspeaker and call alert, alert, alert. And the community would come together in the central pavilion. Armed guards with guns and crossbows surrounded the pavilion. They would stay there as Jim would tell them they are surrounded and then lead them in prayer and sing and chant to ward off the impending attacks. Sometimes he would have his guards hide in the forest and shoot at them, simulating an attack. They would only be told if it was a drill at the end when it was all over. So they never knew which time this was actually happening or not. Well, that's smart. But again... This guy is... This guy is fucking... Hmm. I like him. Why do I like him? That, uh, that makes me pissed off. In September of 1977, Jim helped a, held a six-day drill known as the Six-Day Siege. This drill was used as a symbol of the community's... In, um, their, the community's spirit. However, the drills were used to keep the members fearful of venturing outside of the commune. Mm-hmm. Following two visits by the U.S. Embassy personnel to check on the situation at Jonestown and an IRS investigation in early 1978, Jim became increasingly convinced that the attacks he feared were imminent. Well, of course. In one 1978 White Knight drill, Jim told his followers he was going to distribute poison for everyone to drink in an act of suicide. And a batch of fruit punch was served to everyone in the pavilion who sat by weeping and waiting for their death. After some time passed, Jim informed them that it was only a drill, but on at least two occasions during White Nights after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached. A simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Oh my fucking god. The commune was deteriorating. Everyone was overworked. Everyone was tired. Loudspeakers were put in and, a, and sermons were played on a constant loop. Jim claimed to his followers that he and his followers would all die and live blissfully together in the afterlife. Jim was seen staggering and urinating in public, and he found it difficult to walk without assistance. And after finding out that he had a lung infection in 1978, Jim told his followers that he actually had lung cancer in the efforts to gain their compassion and increase their level of support. Jim was said to be abusing Valium, Quaaludes, Stimulants, and barbitrates. Mm. Jim complained of high blood pressure that he had since like, the early 1950s, small strokes, weight loss, temporary blindness, convulsions, and in late October to early November 1978, he was ill in his cabin um, with grotesque swelling of the extremities. November of 1978, Congressman Ryan led a fact-finding mission to Jonestown to investigate allegations of human right abuse. Jim hosted a reception for the delegation that evening at the Central Pavilion in Jonestown. 
during which Temple member Vernon Gosney passed a note meant for Ryan requesting assistance for himself and another Temple member in leaving the settlement. Tensions rose as news spread through the community that some members were attempting to leave. Well, yeah, you better get the fuck out now because shit's about to hit the fucking fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. All right, I'm saving, I'm trying to save all my comments in the end. Ryan's delegation left hurriedly the afternoon of 19, uh, November 18, 18th after Ryan barely avoided being stabbed by a temple member, Don Sly. Ryan and his delegation managed to take along 15 members who expressed a desire to leave, and Jim made no attempt to prevent their departure at that time. Jim's wife announced on the public address system that everything was fine and urged everyone to go back to their homes after Ryan left. During this time, Ace prepared a large metal tub with grape-flavored aid poisoned with dif- bear with me guys diphenhydramine promethazine I don't know but grape cool. grape is a fantastic flavor oh I agree cool <laughs> chlorpromazine chloroquine chloral hydrate diazepam and cyanide all the fucking poisons all of them as members of Ryan's delegation boarded two planes at the at the airport, Jonestown Red Brig of armed guards arrived and began shooting at them. Mm-hmm. The gunmen killed Ryan and four others, Harris Brown, San Francisco Examiner photographer Greg Robinson, and Temple member Patricia Parks. Surviving the attacks were Jackie C. Spear, Richard Dreyer, Deputy Chief of Mission from the U.S. Embassy, Bob Flick, Steve Sung, Tim Ritterman, Ron Javers, Charles Kraus, and several defecting temple members who escaped into the jungle to avoid being killed. Mm-mm-mm. Jim received word that people survived, and he conducted it he concluded that it was a matter of time that the escapees would soon inform the U.S. of the attacks and they would send military to seize Jonestown. He called the members to the Central Pavilion and informed them Ryan was dead and it was only a matter of time before the military commandos would come for them and kill them all. November 18th, 1978, Jim Temple, Jim told Temple members that the Soviet Union would not give them passage after the airstrip shooting. He said, quote, we can check with Russia to see if they'll take us in, in immediately, otherwise we die. Asking, quote, you think Russia's gonna want us with all this stigma? End quote. With that reasoning, Jim and several members argued the group should commit revolutionary suicide Jim recorded the entire death ritual on audio tape cries and screams of children and adults are easily heard on these tapes oh my god a drink made with the poison was handed to every member of the community to drink those who refused were injected with cyanide by a syringe 
The crowd was also surrounded by armed guards offering members the basic dilemma of death by poison or death by guard's hand. Ruletta Paul and her one-year-old were the first to consume the poison. According to Escape Temple member Odell Rhodes, the child's mouth was filled with poison using a syringe without a needle, and then Paul injected more poison into her mouth. After ingesting the poison, they were let outside the pavilion. As parents watched their children perish by poison, there was a scene of panic and confusion. Some were not sure if it was just other white night rehearsals. When members cried, Jim would tell them to stop the hysterics. This is no way to die. And to not be afraid to die. And die with dignity. Jim instructed the children die first. And his wife protest, protested against killing the children at all. But she was restrained and the forced to join the other adults in poisoning herself after the children had died. At the end of the tape, Jim concludes, We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. In the early evenings of November 18th, Sharon Amos, a temple member in Georgetown, received a radio message from Jonestown telling members there is an exact to exact vengeance on the temple foe before committing revolutionary suicide. After the police arrived at the headquarters, Sharon escorted her children, Leanne, Krista, and Martin, into the bathroom. With a kitchen knife, Sharon killed Krista and Martin first. She then had Leanne assist in cutting Sharon's throat, and then Leanne killed herself. 85 members of the community served, or 85 members of the community survived this absolute tragic event. Some slipped into the jungle just as the things started occurring. One man hid in a ditch. An elderly woman hid in her dormitory and actually slept through the event, awaking to find everyone dead. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at that, but like she just slept right through it. It's kind of funny. Three Grace of good luck. <laughs> right? Three high-ranking temple survivors claimed they were given assignments, and that's why they survived. The Jonestown basketball team was away at a game. Others, well, well, how fortunate. Others they won. hid in their dormitories or were away from the community on business when the death ritual unfolded. Survivor Tim Carter suggested in an interview that, like a previous practice, the day's lunch of grilled cheese sandwiches may have been tainted with sedatives to subdue members of the cult. He also suggested that Jim had his guards pose the dead bodies of Jonestown residents to make it appear that more people were willing to commit suicide. The mass murder-suicide resulted in the deaths of 909 inhabitants of of Jonestown, 276 of them children, and mostly in and around the Central Pavilion. This resulted in the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the attacks of 
another for dead in Georgetown, which was the woman and her children. The FBI later recovered the 45-minute audio recording of the mass poisoning in progress, which that recording became known as the death tape. I do not have a recording for that for you guys. I cannot bring myself to listen to that one right now. Jim's three sons, Stephen, Jim Jr., and Tim, were with the People's Temple basketball team as the time of the mass poisoning. How convenient. During the event, they drove to the U.S. Embassy to give Georgetown, or the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown, to alert the authorities. However, Guyanese soldiers guarding the embassy refused to let them in after hearing about the shooting at the airstrip. Uh, Later, they went to the temple headquarters to find the bodies of Sharon and her three children. The Guyanese military arrived in Jonestown to find the dead. The U.S. military organized an airlift to bring the remains back to the U.S. to be buried. Guyanese soldiers kept the Jones brothers under house arrest for five days, interrogating them about the deaths in Georgetown. Stephen was accused of involvement in the deaths and was in prison for three months. Tim and Johnny Cobb, members of the Temple basketball team, were taken to Jonestown to identify the bodies. After returning to the U.S., Jim Jones Jr. was placed under police surveillance for several months while he lived with his older sister, Suzanne, who had previously turned against the Temple. In a signed note found at the time of her death, Marceline, Jim's wife, directed that Jim's assets be given to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. The People's Temple Secretary had already made arrangement for the $7.3 million, $30 million today, in Temple's funds to be transferred to the Soviet Embassy in Guyana. Most of the money was held in foreign bank accounts and was transferred electronically, but 680000 which is about $3 million today, was held in cash and three couriers were hired to transport the cash to the Soviets. However, the couriers were arrested before reaching their destinations and claimed to have hidden most of the money. The events at Jonestown obviously were subject to extensive media coverage and became known as the Jonestown Jonestown Massacre. As awareness reached the public, outsiders refused to accept Jim's attempt to blame them for the deaths. Critics and apologists offered a variety of explanations for the events that happened among Jim's followers. The Soviet Union publicly distanced themselves from Jim and what they called a bastardization of the concept of revolutionary suicide. Thank God they did that. Right? American Christian leader denounced Jim as satanic and asserted that he and his teachings were in no way connected to traditional Christianity. Billy Graham said it would be a mistake to identify Jim as his cult as Christian. And he, along with other prominent Christian leaders, alleged that Jim was demonically possessed. The Christian Church, Disciple of Christ, responded to the death with significant changes for ministerial ethics and a new process to remove ministers. 
They issued a press release disavowing Jim and reported that the community in Jonestown was not affiliated with their denomination and subsequently expelled People's Temple from their denomination. Rumor started that survivors of People's Temple in San Francisco were organizing hit squads to target critics and enemies of the church. Law enforcement intervened to protect the media and others who were thought to be a target. The headquarters in San Francisco was besieged by the media, angry protesters, and family members of the dead. Uh, Archie, who returned from Jonestown to take leadership in San Francisco headquarters, tried to say Jim had no connection to the deaths and said that the events were <laughs> a ploy by enemies of the church. What the fuck? But he did later acknowledge the truth. Supporters of People's Temple, especially politicians, had a difficult time explaining their connections to Jim following the deaths. Some admitted that they were tricked by Jim. President Jimmy Carter and First Lady Rosalind Carter sought to minimize their connection to Jim. <laughs> One of the worst presidents ever. And he had his connections, let me tell you. And San Francisco Mayor George Moscone said he vomited when he heard of the massacre and called the friends and family of many of the victims to apologize and offer sympathies. Investigations into the Jonestown massacre were conducted by the FBI and the U.S. Congress. Individuals and groups of people had provided tips to the FBI about People's Temple. However, no investigation was made before the massacres. The investigation was primarily focused on why authorities, especially the U.S. State Department, were unaware of the abuse in Jonestown. People's Temple collapsed shortly after the events of the massacre. Some individuals continued to follow Jim's teachings during the 1980s. What the fuck? <laughs> right? I was like, why are we still going? People just died. Oh my god, why are people so fucking stupid? God damn it. Jim Jones and the events at Jonestown had a had a defining influence on society's perceptions of cults. The widely known expression drinking the Kool-Aid developed after the massacre. Although the specific drink that was actually used was Flavor-Aid. So even it put a bad light on Kool-Aid for a bit. Jim Jones was found dead on the stage of the Central Pavilion. He was resting on a pillow near his deck chair with a gunshot wound to his head. So he didn't even drink the poison. Jim's bitch. Jim's body was later moved for examination and embalming. There was an autopsy conducted by Guyanese coroner Cyril Mutu. Mm-hmm. In December of 1978, confirming Jim's cause of death was a suicide. Jim's son, Stephen, believes that his father may have directed someone else to shoot him. The autopsy did show high levels of the 
barbitrate mm-hmm. pentabarbital in Jim's body, mm-hmm. which may have been lethal to humans who had not developed physiological tolerance. And I don't know why this part bothered me, but Jim's body was cremated and his remains were scattered in the Atlantic Ocean. Polluted into the Atlantic Ocean. And that, my ladies and gentlemen, toasties, is Jim Jones. Well, what a story! You did a, you did a great job. That was that was that was a a story. Um, I want to apologize for how long this one is, guys. Thank you if you made it to this end. That was a lot. That was a lot of political. It was a lot of religious. If you don't know the political terms, if you don't know what it means, you can't really follow it. You can't understand it. But, nonetheless to say, like, I try so hard not to get political on here. I wasn't going to. And I know to. that was one of our discussions, like, we're not going to get political. But, I'm sorry, I have to in this episode. You may shoot me later. I'll take the punishment later. But, this is just, it, it, it's too eerily familiar with, uh-huh. with the Democratic Party. I was going to say government in general. A, a Democratic Party, nonetheless. Like, it, like they learned something. They followed it. They didn't preach to a high key because if they do, they're going to get caught like Jim did. And then you're backed into the corner. And what the fuck else are you going to do? You're just going to commit suicide because how the fuck else are you come out of this? I'm not Republican. I'm not Democratic. If That's anybody, why I would have said, but I would say actually all of our government. Yeah, all this the government just resonated so much. It, it, but essentially, it really resonated with me with Democratic because they speak so much to like we're like we're this here is to equal, help you. Yeah, this is equal life for everybody. We're here to help you, and that's what Jim did. Mm-hmm. And like it, it's so wrong to play on people like that. It is just so wrong. Where Republican is more like, no, this is who we are. Accept it or not. And I'm not for both. Both is wrong. Our government is corrupted. It is not where it needs to be. It is wrong. But I think this moment in history, they learned a lot from it. And... They're playing us with it. I just want to say, you guys are seeing the TikToks. You guys are seeing the the videos. People are saying the things. This is the story lined out for you. If you don't see him, if you don't see any kind of similarity, then you, and I'm sorry to offend, you're, you're an idiot. If you don't see any kind of similarity, you're an idiot. And I'm sorry if I lost some of y'all. Love you to pieces. But kind of open your eyes and kind of see see the similarity. I mean, drink the fucking Kool-Aid, bitches. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't resonate, I mean, mm. God, God help us all. But I'm not. I'm I'm not religious. I'm not for our government. I don't like the Democrats. I don't like the Republicans. I am very, 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 very libertarian. Yeah. Do what you want. I don't care what you fucking do in your own body. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say about your own body. 
Except for love yourself. Don't hate yourself. Yeah. Like, I encourage self-love. But if you want to talk bad, that's your decision. But don't do it to your neighbor. That's not your business. Not your fucking business. All I want to say is we're all in the same playing field, guys. We're not an elite. We're all in the same playing field. And I don't want to get to the point where drinking the Kool-Aid. And it's too late to turn back. I think... I I honestly think... You're going to kill me for this. Probably. But I honestly think with our own administration that we have now as for a government, most of us have already drank the Kool-Aid. And I think, you know, I didn't fully follow through, but I too drank the Kool-Aid because it was enticing. It sounds great. I, I, I'm jumping in the game too late in the political world. Yep. That's all I'll say. But. I, I'm jumping in too late. But I'm educating myself and I highly, highly, highly recommend everybody else does. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. A lot more psychology than you realize. I just want everybody to actually learn how the government really works. Learn your branches. The mm-hmm. judicial. The presidential which one works what which one does what because they're really making a mistake by teaching seniors in high school with the coaches as your teacher on that class mm-hmm. and go vote for your president go do it but remember who actually makes the decisions vote for your local mm-hmm. that's the import- most important Thanks for this doozy, guys. God <laughs> damn it, Melissa. I apologize for how long this was. I just... That was intense. That was intense. That was a lot of eye-opening experiences. Like, I know Jim Jones. I know him. But I did not... I couldn't relate it to my own life until you you, you spoke it just now. It was like, um, especially... I didn't know. I didn't know how politically involved he was. Mm-hmm. So how educated the FBI and our government was about him. I just thought it was just another happening. I didn't know it was that a big how do you do and they could actually learn and manipulate the situation. Makes um Charles Manson look child's play. Uh, the, uh you think? Child's play. Chi- yeah. Charles Manson will be very easy for you. Very. Um, this, guys, come on. <laughs> Wake the fuck up. <laughs> like, if you if you don't see it after this story, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I, think I, I think I need to put Johnsy to bed, you guys. She's about to explode over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little pissed. That's why, that's why you like the guy. He's appealing. Says all the right words, does all the right things. He's a narcissist. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's let's put this to bed. We gotta put this to bed. So make sure if you like I said thank you so much if you have made it to the end of this long ass episode. I did not intend for it to be this long. I've written ones that were longer in paper, but for some odd reason this one came out longer. Um, but make sure you guys find us on Facebook, TikTok. Instagram, all the things. Hit that bell. 
thank you for following, sharing, and letting everybody know about us. And please continue to do so. It is Virgo season, so thank you. Um, <laughs> let's slide that in there. We got some birthdays coming up. Um, but until next time, you guys. Bye. Bye.